With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 150, playoff episode number 8. It is Wednesday, October 7th, literally, as we record this. Uh, we got a full playoff slate from Tuesday, which bumps up against a full playoff slate Wednesday. Really more playoff goodness than you can shake a stick at. I don't know why that's an expression. I tried to look it up. We had enough prep time for the show <laughs> that I could figure out where that expression came from. <laughs> nope. Can't trace it back to anything. Not sure at what point in history people were just shaking sticks. Don't know. Caveman era, probably. What was the what was the one that what was the other one we looked up? Bee's knees or Mm, we didn't look up bees knees, but we did have one a while back. I'm blanking on it now. My recall is not great. Uh, at what the midnight. hell is bees knees? But anyway, some fun baseball today. <laughs> they definitely it don't was have the bees them. knees. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with the Yankees and Rays. You know, there's a lot to get into in this game, and there's actually a mailbag question that sort of fits into something I was thinking about before this game even started. Uh, it came in from Cam, and he wanted to know how is Tyler Glass now so good relying mostly on two pitches. And Glasnow kind of spearheaded the effort of the Rays pitching staff striking out 18 Yankees, I believe, was the final count. And that was a nine-inning record for a playoff game. Um, so, you know, I'll kind of throw it to you first, just from the Glasnow perspective. Like, how is he this good? Well, I hope Cam checks out my piece. Uh, wrote a piece that was a reaction to Glasnow's excellent start tonight and uh, kind of detailed some of the things, his strengths and weaknesses. And I think that one thing that stood out was um, in the last three years, basically, since he's become a starter, uh, he's only turned the lineup over three times. Uh, he's only turned up the lineup over three times, four times. Hmm. Gonna have to work on that one. Um, but uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? He's had 34 starts and he's only faced 27 batters four times. Uh, that was the better so way to say it. it. Yeah. That's the bee's knees. That's, no, but, <laughs> no, but I, I guess what it means is um, uh, is that uh, uh, he he doesn't go long. He doesn't go deep. So uh, that's part of it. He doesn't actually turn the lineup over a bunch of times. What he's used at is, is it's almost like a super reliever. He's used as you know a guy who does have two pitches. Those two pitches are at the extreme end of you know the stuff on both of those. It's one of the best fastballs in the game. It's one of the best curveballs in the game. And so what he does is he just does really well for two times through the order. And then it kind of sometimes falls apart. Um, I think that might not be a, a super satisfying answer, but I look through different things. And the other thing is this, the type of curveball that he has, has a reverse platoon split. So it actually gets lefties out uh, really well. So he's not going to get caught out by righty lefty lineups or anything. Um, the only thing is that he can be, he, he only has two pitches so he can become predictable at some point. That game was crazy to me because 
it seemed like Kevin Cash wildly outmanaged Darren Boone. Um, when you look at the fact that, you know, they obviously had glass now went, went fairly deep, especially when we look around the league and we look around all these playoff games and, uh, we've got guys that are going, you know, an inning or two. Uh, and then you've got the Yankees who threw kind of an opener, I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh, Derek, what do you make of that move with them in terms of not, not pitching Jay Hat, moving Tanaka to game three? Do you, is this like, it seems to me like this could be something that could really change the whole tenor of the whole series. I don't know. I thought it was weird for two reasons. Davey Garcia, last time he made a start on September 26th, went six and two thirds. So he's, Plenty stretched out. So to use him as an opener, that in and of itself was weird. It wasn't a great first inning. Give up a home run to Randy Rosarena and you know, threw like 27 pitches. I thought he'd at least get through the entire order once. I thought two plus or at least three was sort of the minimum. And I thought they would follow him with Jordan Montgomery because I thought Jay Happ was the guy they would actually want to have start after Tanaka starts game three. I thought Happ was going to start game four. Clearly, that was not the plan, and I don't even know if Jay Happ knew for sure what the plan was. I saw some comments from him after the game, and uh, the ongoing friction between Jay Happ and the Yankees' front office is kind of funny. He obviously (laughs) will not be returning to the Yankees as a a free agent. Uh, But the main thing that stuck out to me is uh, the way the the pitchers kind of came in after Garcia and Happ, right? They used Adovino. They ended up using Johnny Loisiga. Uh, Holder, Nick Nelson, you know, you're not worried about them as high leverage guys, but they they burned a couple uh, useful pieces in Adovino and Loisiga, and I don't know, this this didn't feel like it was out of reach, so that was probably probably a little bit too close to the vest, really, when you look at how this game played out and, and try to save those guys for for future games. So that was one thing that really stood out to me. Uh, John Carlos Stanton has been amazing in this postseason. He homered in three consecutive plate appearances. First Yankee to do that in the playoffs since Reggie Jackson. Uh, and Stanton, I mean, he's, he's hitting the typical Stanton rocket moonshots too. So he's doing it in a very fun sort of way as well. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, did you, when we were talking about this game yesterday, did you have any inkling that Garcia was only going to go one? They had they had some clarification after the game, um, some comments after the game. They said that, um, I think it was Boone said that um, the plan was for Hap to come in sometime in the second inning and uh, to be ready for the second inning, but maybe to come in at the end of it or for Garcia to finish two. Um, and so I think they wanted more length out of Garcia than they got, but, um, you know, a little bit of rockiness led to bringing happen earlier. I do agree with you that it does, uh, shift the tenor of the, of the series significantly because even though Tanaka can maybe save the bullpen tomorrow, there's the question of who starts on, uh, the fourth game. And then the fourth game therefore will probably be a bullpen game, which means that they're going to really have to maybe push somebody back to back to back to back. You know, um, you know, uh, on on Friday, or just hope that Cole, um, you know, wins them a tight, you know, wins them game five. Maybe they're just playing the win lose win lose game, where they're like they thought this might be a game they lose, and then tomorrow they win with Tanaka, and then they after that they lose, and then they win with Cole. Um, you know, but uh, at the same time they still have to find somebody to pitch game four, and you know, getting between three and five with the bullpen intact uh, will also be difficult. 
Yeah. It just seems like they gave up early. I'm with you, Derek. I thought they were going to maybe piggyback, which we've seen Houston do this postseason, which has been very effective. And by the way, Houston, now the the darling of the postseason to everyone's great delight. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> I do like Dusty Baker. I will say this. I'm rooting for Dusty Baker. Um, I'm torn because I don't want the Astros to go very far. But as you guys know, being around baseball, um, does anyone not like Dusty Baker? Uh, just a, a classy individual. But it just seemed like tonight, and, and getting back to the Yankees one more time, not to pile on Boone, but I am going to pile on. It was a very winnable game that very early on seemed like they just kind of threw in the towel. And oops, if they win, they win. But they just decided that, that even if he goes two innings, Garcia, what is the, what was the actual point? It just seemed like a cute gimmick in... <laughs> I really just don't understand. Are they trying to outraise the Rays? I mean, it's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they go with an opener and the Rays go with three conventional starters in a row. So that's a, a little strange right. reversal of roles. But, to, you know, you did point out um, to me that Christian Javier had only pitched one inning in the Astros series. And so he could be back, right? So maybe Davey Garcia can be back for game four and they just run it back again with Jordan Montgomery in the half role. And maybe the results are different. I don't know. And I, I think maybe you base it off of how Garcia fares yeah. in that start, too, where maybe tonight if he'd pitched well, he would have gone three or four. And if he goes a little better in game four, maybe he does get that deep into the game before Montgomery takes over. And a lot about what happens in game three is going to shape who's available in game four. But you know, Zach Britton didn't pitch in two. Chapman hasn't pitched yet. I think he warmed up, but he didn't get into the game uh, on Tuesday. So... They have two very fresh, high-leverage guys. If they can get even five from Tanaka, they don't have to work real hard to figure out who's going to get the ball until they get to you know the eighth and ninth inning with Britton and Chapman. They can even go to Britton a little early and push those guys more than one inning if they want to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the I, I, my pessimism about the Rays um, has softened a little bit, uh, but I still... I still see Cole looming in Game Five. It's a, it's a big, it's a big one to be to be sitting there at the end. Yep, it absolutely is. Uh, Nick Anderson threw twenty two pitches in two innings. I really want to know if he's available in Game Three or if they're going to save him to have him for back to backs in Four and Five. Game flow might be uh, a determining factor there. I have not seen anything confirming that they plan to hold him out of Game Three at this point. Let's go to that Astros A's matchup. The A's now facing a two zero deficit. Framber Valdez pitches really well again. He goes seven, scatters five hits, only allows two earned runs. One thing that was really interesting to me as I was digging into this game, eight hard-hit balls against Framber Valdez, two were the home runs that the A's hit. The rest were all ground outs. So a lot of the hard contact that Valdez was allowing were balls hit on the ground. It's like if you're going to give up any hard contact, that's obviously the best place to do it. Uh, and this is pretty cool, too, because we saw Enoli Paredes again. He's kind of becoming our, our favorite reliever of the postseason on this show. At least I'm giving him that title. Uh, he's gone from underbelly to like part of the bridge to Ryan Presley. They've both gone on back-to-back days, though. So now the Astros may have to dig into their depth a little bit more if they end up putting themselves in a position to go for the sweep on Wednesday. Uh, what stood out to you guys from this game, Britt? Was there anything in, in the A's-Astros game that, that really surprised you? I don't know about surprise, but George, it's the postseason, and George Springer is in typical October form, right? I mean, you look at this Astros team, and 
you know, you guys didn't have them moving on from the Twins, if you recall, because they were under 500. They weren't a good team. I, I didn't think they were a good team either. And it seems like now they have everything clicking. Uh, they, they're a rotation that doesn't have Verlander, no longer has Cole. And yet we talked about this. They, they've done wonderfully in terms of piggybacking guys. And that offense, um, has really just been able to put away the A's. You know, you, you've seen that here in the first two games. Uh, the way they've added these runs, they've just been absolutely gut punches to Oakland and to their pitching staff. And Springer, you guys look now, he's in some like elite territory. I think I saw he passed Babe Ruth. Uh, in terms of postseason home runs, uh, he's a guy that always kind of seems to step up in the moment, and he's continued to do that here. And by the way, we finally got an answer, guys, to our where the hell is Zach Granke thing. Mm. He's got arm soreness. They're not going to pitch him game three. I don't think this is going to preclude them from winning the series at all. It could have ramifications down the line. Um, you know, what do you think about that, that kind of rotation and, and how it shakes out? You guys were all over it, right? I mean, it, the, the just, uh, wondering where he was, uh, he was hurt. Um, there was a little uh, scuttlebutt that like, and scuttlebutt, there's another word. What the heck does that mean? But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, there was some scuttlebutt, uh, some butts were scuttled and, um, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, um, there was some thought that like somebody, like somebody said that Urquidy just found out today that he was going to, uh, pitch in game three. So I don't know if that's a communication with you know, equity or between Granky and the staff, or if it just popped up, you know, maybe it just popped up in a session or he was recovering from a session and, and said, you know what, it's actually sore today, but um, we've seen the velocity loss from Granky and the two things that happen when you are as old as, as Granky is, or, or, you know, the velocity loss and, and injury. So I, I'm not necessarily too surprised by it. And I think the, you know, with the two game win, like I think, you know, winning it in the next two games will be good for them to like get that to bake in to win the extra days of rest uh, to maybe get Granky back out there. But I think for them in the playoffs, Granky is kind of a three four inning pitcher at this point, um, and that's replaceable for them in the short run. But I think you're right; it matters for them in the next series. Yeah, I think that's exactly where it starts to catch up to the Astros. Uh, this A's offense, as we said yesterday, not a bad group. They're just ice cold at least they were ice cold today and i don't know if i see any reason to be optimistic about them we talked about this as far as like not wanting to have too much recency bias you're watching a team on one day and expecting more of the same the next uh, but time's ticking and it just feels like this is going to be yet another disappointing chapter in a's postseason history uh, scuttlebutt by the way is a drinking fountain on a ship or at a naval or marine installation but mm. it is uh, also the water cooler talk ah, of 19th century so seafarers. They, they talked by the water fountain. I get it. Okay. Yeah, that made sense. There were some, there were some people talking about when people found out about uh, this injury. But I don't think it was like, you know, maybe it was. Houston is probably like those NFL teams that were like, he has a lower half injury. <laughs> <laughs> NHL. Yeah. Remember when Jose Altuve like had a knee problem that needed surgery at the end of the season? I actually literally asked him in a scrum. I was like, hey, what's wrong with your knee? And he's like, uh, they told me not to say anything, basically. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Are you okay? And he's like, it's feeling okay. And you're like, oh, God, jeez. 
<laughs> like really pushing the yeah. information warfare angle. Yeah, I saw something somewhere where Baker was like, well, Granky hasn't looked right over his last five or six starts, which seems to me like the other extreme. Five or six starts? That's basically when the season started. Right, yeah. Yeah. You're being really specific here. Okay. Yeah. It's like, now he didn't look good when he first came to camp. Like, okay. (laughs) You know? I don't know. Yeah, right. It just seems like a really he was he was getting good results, but it is weird if you look back at his game log. At least three earned runs allowed in each of his last uh, seven regular season starts. So he was on like this torrid pace with his ratios to start the year, and then he kind of just became a regular guy. And I didn't really notice that was happening to him down the stretch. So a uh, big fail on my part, but uh, I feel like that is a stretch. I think he was pitching a little better than Dusty was letting on uh, in that case. Also wondering if Fleetwood Mac ever thought about naming the Rumors album Scuttlebutt instead. It probably wouldn't have been as uh, well-received. Wouldn't, wouldn't Did, have held up as well. Stevie Nicks wrote that about breaking up with the dude in the band? I think the entire album is written for and about people cheating on each other. Which, which is the band, why they yes. didn't last very long. Yeah, that was a part of their demise. I mean, just like no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> just like no doubt. Yes. Yes, they would Mac exactly like no doubt. <laughs> but just imagine being the dude that has like sing, you know, has to play dreams for like the millionth time. You know? I said I was sorry. I said well. I was sorry. I'll play it again. <laughs> oh my gosh. Speaking of drama, did you guys see uh Ronald Acuna Jr.'s Instagram and Twitter flex oh, today? Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, they won the game. Uh, you know, good they went up one nothing on the Marlins, but um Acuna had what people aren't talking about was the slide that kind of pissed off Miami is what I understand. His slide into second base earlier in the game. Um was something I also saw on social media that kind of irritated them as well. So of all the rivalries we talked about going into this, I didn't have like bad blood really between the Marlins and Braves ranked at all, but they might be the one series where you really got to watch tomorrow for for warnings issued and, and potentially you know some some tempers flaring. The Marlins do hit Ronald Acuna Jr. a lot with pitches. I saw some of the numbers floating around Twitter after the incident. I was actually listening to part of this game uh, on the Braves feed. I took the dog out for a walk, and that's actually a really good booth. And as this was playing out they didn't really seem to think there was any malintent there, right? And if any booth was going to assume malintent, it would be the Braves in this case. So uh, they suggested that that's not Don Mattingly's style as a manager. I don't know how much truth there is to that. I mean, players can go rogue and just throw at guys if they're upset. Like, that can happen. But in that situation, that seemed really odd, right? You're an underdog with a 4-1 lead, and you're in a situation where you don't want to just put a guy on base. Like, if you're upset about the way Ronald Acuna Jr. celebrated his home run with that kind of walk out of the box and pronounced bat flip, you deal with that in April. And I don't believe in this crap anyway. I think throwing at people is one of the worst things about baseball. I wish MLB would police it more so we could move past it. It just seems like outdated caveman stuff. It predates scuttlebutt. Uh, I, I hate I hate it. I hate it. Like I don't like what this guy did, so I'm gonna throw a rock at him. You know, uh <laughs> not the bees knees. I, I I think it's actually really difficult to parse this one. Yes, he threw inside in a way where it could have and he has movement. He has a lot of movement on that sinker. Mm-hmm. So and he doesn't have an amazing amount of command. So he could have just missed. Um and, and that'd be fine. And but then there's you know his comments after the game where he said, I, I didn't mean to hit him, 
but if he wants to fight, I'll fight him. <laughs> so it's like, okay. Uh, plus you throw in just how many times Acuna and the Braves in general have been hit by the uh, Marlins specifically. And it, it reminds you a little bit of the kind of the Pittsburgh uh, Cincinnati thing where it's just been festering. Uh, Jose Urania like has hit Acuna like three, four times. Um, and it just becomes a point where it's almost confirmation bias over and over again. Right? Like you, you're like, Oh, the Marlins, they always hit me. Oh, see, they hit me again, you know? And you don't remember the, all the times the Mets hit you or whatever. So, uh, I'm not saying that Acuna is wrong to, to not want to be hit. And I'm not saying he's not, you know, you know what I mean? Like I, I understand all sides of this. Um, but I think I agree that in that situation, all Sandy Alcantara wants to do is win. You know, and I don't think he necessarily wants to make a point to Acuna Jr. right there and, and put a guy on. And, and eventually uh, turned into, uh, I believe, a run. He did. He ended up coming around to score in that inning. Yeah, I agree. And, and also, like we talked about this earlier, the, the the actual game-related stuff. I mean, the Marlins just simply couldn't hang on. They couldn't hang around with the Braves. Once it got to those middle innings, we saw kind of the underbelly that you guys talked about with their relief. And it would just have been a weird time to to start anything, right? It was a weird flex, which, by the way, in 100 years, people are going to look up some of the expressions <laughs> that we have. And, <laughs> and <be> like, okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, and underbelly. My kids, be like, my kids will, be, will use them against yeah. me on whatever's after Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> by the way, this is very random. I don't know how many people listen to our show follow Craig Calcaterra on Twitter, but I don't know if there's a person... I've encountered on the internet who gets dunked on harder by their own children <laughs> than Craig gets dunked on by his daughter. That's true. Holy crap. My greatest fear as someone who might have kids one day is that my kids are going to be a lot smarter than me. <laughs> and I, I think Craig's smart. I think his daughter might be already smarter than him and she kind of <laughs> knows it and she just rubs it in his face all the time, which it's incredible. I, it's really cool that he actually shares that because um, yeah. I, I don't... I don't have the confidence it'll to put happen, that out there. It'll happen to all of us, or all of us that have children. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure one of my kids will do it to me. I'm not. I, I'm not sure which one. Well, one of them will probably. <laughs> I, I think the, so. My 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 uh, younger one turns six tomorrow, and I see him. Uh, he's very sort of. Uh, he loves. Uh, he's very sensual. Like he loves the feeling of things and the taste of things, and I think he's gonna just jump. Uh, into life, and I, I see him as like a form, a future uh, surf instructor. <laughs> so I don't know that he. Wait a second. I don't know that he'll be. That's a fine I, I don't way know to make that a He'll be on Twitter uh, dunking on me. I think it'll be my other son. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should aim a little higher for your son. <laughs> no, I. You know, he'd probably just live out the 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 other side of the life I never had. Acuna, by the way, if you didn't know what to put on your tombstone when you die, his his Instagram <laughs> post was just, I apologize to absolutely nobody. Yeah. It's a good final statement. And he's got the, the picture of the bat flip from today. Yeah. The tweet said, they have to hit me because they don't get me out with three of the uh, shush emojis, yeah. as I call them. <laughs> I don't know if that's the proper name for them, but that's... That's what the emoji is doing. Uh, Marlins, I, I think the bullpen's a problem. 
Pablo Lopez goes in game two instead of Sixto Sanchez. Sanchez will go in game three. Ian Anderson goes for the Braves. This is a winnable matchup for the Marlins. They just need their starters to keep going deep (laughs) into games. Yeah, they need six plus. They need six plus to have a chance, and even then it could unravel. Last thought on this game, Travis Darno going to the Braves wasn't a signing that got a lot of attention when it happened. I think some people thought, oh, why'd they add another catcher? Tyler Flowers is fine, and you know Darno's got a pretty bad injury history. This guy's hitting cleanup, and he had a great year. And I mean, if you're a Mets fan, you're watching this, and you're going, "What the hell? Why is this happening?" On a division rival, no less. Like, why is Travis Darno an anchor in a loaded Atlanta lineup at this point? If you're a Mets fan, you're used to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike Fast, uh, you know, left the Astros to go to the Braves, and one of the things he did publicly as an analyst before he went behind. Um, behind the curtain was, uh, you know, some stuff on framing. Um, and you see that um, that uh, Flowers is a plus framer, and uh, so is uh, so is Darno. So I think that even though he's been a guy who are the offenses have been a little bit up and down, uh, and he's also uh, been hurt often, and that's kind of maybe why the Mets let him go in the end. Um, when he's in there, he's good. You know, he's a... He's only had one year. Uh, you no, know, you take that year out. He had 16 plate appearances. He's never been below replacement. He's been at least a league average guy if you kind of prorate it out, and in some years a very good player. So uh, really sneaky signing. I think you're right. And hard to do that when you're missing time with major injuries. I mean, he had an ACL tear at one point. I think he's had at least one concussion. Like Those are not easy injuries to come back from, especially at that position. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's go to the Padres-Dodgers matchup, the nightcap. The nightcap of all nightcaps. Uh, Mike Clevenger started this game. He didn't stay long. We saw the velocity charts going around on Twitter. You just worry that there's a a more serious elbow injury that's kind of inevitable with him at this point, just based on what we're seeing right now. And I almost wonder if it was kind of like, hey, let's just see what you can do for us. Go out there. You know, it's torn already anyway. Like I, I don't know if that's the case, but that's sort of what it felt like. And... As a result of his early exit, the Padres had to go really reliever heavy again. And for a while, they held together. They have the bullpen depth, but, you know, it's going to test them against the Dodgers team. Yeah, I mean, they had 14 guys throw consecutive scoreless innings at one point until they finally allowed a run. So it just seems like, to me, the Padres are a really good team. Their bullpen is really, you know, a lot better than people realize. But you're asking way too much. Right, you're just asking way too much now. Now you're in a five-game series with no let-up and no off days. With the Clevenger situation, I mean, we won't see him again in the playoffs. Should the Padres advance, we we I don't think we see him again. That seemed yeah, that seemed very definitive. You know, walking off the mound with the trainer for sure. And you know, now you hope, like you said, yeah. Derek, that you hope that something's not torn. You hope that you don't hear about him needing surgery and it affecting next year. And it sucks because he was one of their big prizes at the deadline, um, a guy who they really needed, you know, and I 
this was a bad loss for the Padres, I think. And it's not just Clevenger. It's the fact that they're not going to be able to get away with what they did game three of the wild card series for the next four games, right? The Dodgers are not going to let them do that. Their arms are not going to hold up. And unless the offense really steps up and starts putting up some serious runs, they're going to have a hard time beating the Dodgers now three of the next four games. I think it might be time for a Hail Mary. Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, if you take Clevenger off the roster, you could put Gore on it, right? Unless, like, did you guys hear more definitive news about Lamette? I mean, I know he didn't make the roster, but was there some idea that he would make the next roster? And But, uh, you know, if he's not making this roster, I think that means they think he's out. So I think it's time for Mackenzie Gore. I mean, the only way, the only way I see them see, winning this series at this point is Patino, Morahan, Gore. You know, those are the only guys that can give him length. They already made Richards a reliever, and he already pitched in this one. So who else you got? You know, maybe Davies can keep him in it, and then you need someone to go length in game three if you want to win two games in a row. And uh, it can only be Morahan, Patino, and Patino pitched in this one. So really you only have like Morahan and Gore. Yeah. And it's too bad they're both lefties. So I think I might even, um, you know, depend on both of them for length at some point. The Padres used nine pitchers in this game. Obviously, that wasn't the plan. The plan was for Clevenger to probably go at least four, probably five or more if possible. So that really put them on their back foot. Ryan Weathers made his big league debut. I think he's the youngest player since Adelberto Mondesi to make his big league debut in a playoff game. The stuff looked really good. Uh, he pitched at Fort Wayne, I think, in the Midwest League. was the highest stop. That's I mean, low A. So he jumped from low A to the big leagues, came into a game, and didn't allow runs against one of the best offenses we've seen probably in the last 20 years, which uh, is a nice way to be thrown into the fire. So uh, kudos to him on that debut. I thought that was actually pretty impressive. I know he walked a couple of guys, but I bet he gets another important inning or two before this series is over, just based on what we saw here and based on the need they're going to have with so many guys pitching in this game. Uh, This was a frustrating one, I think, for the Padres because, you know, Walker Buehler didn't even have his best stuff, but... They couldn't solve him, and I think when you have an ace who's not on top of his game, that's an opportunity to pounce, and I think this is one of those games the Padres are going to look at and say, we had some chances against the guy that doesn't give up a lot of chances, and now we're just going to be chasing this series the rest of the way. Uh, Chase Tingler got tossed after a Mookie Betts double in the bottom of the sixth inning. I rarely side with umpires, but I don't think Jace Tingler was right to be upset. Uh, maybe the frustration he was having with his offense and the Clevenger injury and all these things kind of just came to a head and he, he took it out <laughs> on the umpires instead. But um, strike zone didn't look that bad. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. This was a, a disappointing start to the series for the Padres for sure. Austin Adams slider count, 10 of 10. Um Ryan Weathers sat 95. I was excited about that. Did not get a single whiff on the slider. That was interesting. If you could uh, smush Austin Adams and Ryan Weathers together, maybe you'd have uh, an elite closer. But uh, that doesn't work. In uh, that's been banned. Not allowed to do that. That's a future thing. I. That's a future thing. I. Uh, you know, I was a little surprised that the, the the this lineup couldn't put something together. But there is some some part of it is the ballpark. Um, you got the two best barrelers in baseball, and they are in the the second least friendly park, two barrels, 
uh, in baseball this year. And the other one was Buffalo. So you could say it was a small sample thing because um, these parks haven't been around a lot. But if you just look at the StatCast era, the two least friendly ballparks, two barrels in terms of homers divided by barrels have been uh, Globe Life and Buffalo. And they sent everybody to Buffalo, but they did uh, they did change. Uh, they did try to open up the roof, I think, to make it a little bit more hitter friendly. Uh, but later start, maybe cooler weather uh, later in the year. Uh, I saw about four or five drives from the Dodgers that not necessarily were all homers, but I think if you th- hit those four or five drives in LA or in San Diego, right. one Mookie Betts one, I thought for uh, sure. One of them would have been homers. Yeah. There was a Pollock one too. Seeger hit one three ninety. So, you know, uh, sometimes when you're talking about, um, you know, an inconsistent ball and then, uh, and then a, a, a stadium like this, the stadium plus the ball can, can be a 10 foot difference. Uh, and you know, add 10 feet feet to some of those balls, they would have been out. So especially the bets one. So, um, you know, I, I, in some ways this game wasn't as close as it seemed. Yeah. No, Dustin may looked untouchable too. his stuff was electric tonight. Uh, three K's two scoreless innings. Didn't walk anybody through 27 pitches. I would assume with 27, he's back and available for game four. They they could use him in game three if they needed to, but I think they're going to try and use him in four because then you have the option for four and five. If you use him in three... Or try not to use him, win it in three, and and you got May for a couple games in the next series. Yeah, it's really tempting, and I keep looking at those numbers. I I tweeted this out. Every time I watch him pitch, I go look at his Fangraphs page, and his strikeout rate and swinging strike rate are so much lower than you'd think for a guy that's touching a hundred with that much movement. I mean, there's just, there's no reason why he shouldn't strike out more guys in the future. And maybe that's 2021, right? Like maybe that's the year he makes the leap. I could see him easily becoming a, a 28, 30% K percentage guy, a 10 K per nine sort of pitcher at his peak. And are the Dodgers, I mean, the Dodgers, there's a lot of things they have in common with the Rays. And one of which is, some dude coming out of the pen that used to be a lefty soft tosser throwing 97. Like Victor <laughs> Gonzalez, man? Did, like, what? Where did this guy come from? Anyway, uh, if they're going to do something like that, then it doesn't matter that Kenley Jansen's throwing 88. They'll probably do weird things with, you know, throwing Kenley Jansen in the seventh just to uh, just to mess with with other teams because they've got – you know, they didn't even use Rizdar Gratterall tonight. They had a guy throwing 100 they didn't use. You're right. It was not nearly as close as even the score indicated. It, you're right. I think Tingler, it just seems like a lot of that was kind of frustration because the the umpiring for the Yankees-Rays game was a million times worse, and nobody got thrown out of that one. I think the Padres are searching for some kind of spark here, right? Clevenger was supposed to be their, their white knight. It was supposed to be their, hey, we got this, and now it just doesn't uh-huh. seem at all uh like they have any kind of chance here i i really i picked them to win i want them to win but the dodgers are just a really good team that did exactly what they were supposed to do uh in game one despite walker bueller struggling to find the the strike zone for most of the night yeah still had velo still had movement just wasn't oh. locating where he wanted and that was the- it was it was kind of amazing to watch like he would like he would like walk a guy on four pitches and then he would dot 98 on the outside corner you know mm-hmm. um i wonder if you know there's a little bit of that they, they they show pictures of his of his blister situation and they talked a little bit on the cast about how um he can't uh do the same amount of uh in between start work because he's trying to let the blister heal 
Um, it looks gross, you know, when they when they show the pictures. <laughs> yeah, he's got some weird Franken Frankenfinger going on where they've uh, they've pasted it shut with some fake skin or whatever, and you know, I, I, that's got to affect your command a little bit too. So, it, it, yeah, it's a consistency sort of thing with Bueller, and I think that is a perfectly fine explanation for why he struggled that way. As I mentioned earlier, just one team, the A's, facing elimination on Wednesday. Britt, do the A's behind Jesus Lazardo going up against Jose Urquidy, do they live to see a game four? I don't think so. I think Houston's just got too much momentum right now. The A's have been a nice story, but unless they get somebody else to hit, it seems that they've got two guys, three guys max, hitting in their, their lineup right now, and I just don't see them turning it around. I think momentum, as we've talked about in baseball, can be dangerous, and Houston no doubt has that momentum right now. Yeah, I, I learned something today. Um, I think in Spanish, uh, lefty is Zerdo. So Lizardo El Zerdo uh, will be uh, throwing the pelota tomorrow. Um, I love him. But one problem that I guess has shown its head, even though I didn't think it was necessarily going to happen, he kind of goes four and five. And I don't know what happens in the fifth inning. Sometimes um, maybe the command falters late or something, but he's he's given up some homers in the fifth innings. And uh, it does seem like maybe there is something there. I think he could learn a cutter or a harder breaking ball in the offseason and, uh, and be an ace's ace still. I still love the stuff. Um, but right now, as he is, I don't think he's the savior. I want to see the A's make the Astros work harder for this. It's going to take an extraordinary effort from Lazardo if that's going to happen. I think Urquidy's really good. The regular season numbers this season don't fully reflect it. He, of course, missed a lot of time with the COVID IL stint that he had. Uh, but electric last postseason, I think he can get back to being that guy. So maybe they get on top of him early and, and get into those those low leverage relievers that Houston has that really don't have a lot of experience. That's the A's best chance to come away with the winning game three. But like you guys, I am not optimistic about it. Uh, by the way, if you if you Google search Zerto, you get uh, an image of Ned Flanders that comes up. So yeah, that's uh, lefty. Is it sexy Flanders? No, it's just it's just regular Flanders. Sorry, sorry, to <laughs> disappoint you. Flanders. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid sexy Flanders. That is like an all-time great Homer line. I also think it's funny that <laughs> famous lefties, like the first person people think of is Ned Flanders, and then like after that, maybe like Paul McCartney <laughs> or somebody else who you know is a real and has achieved a lot. It's actually more fun to watch lefties pitch, in my opinion. Anyway. If you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review this podcast, whether you're left-handed or right-handed, take a moment, give us a nice rating and review. We really appreciate that, especially if you're a lefty. I feel like you're obligated to leave us a rating and review after this uh, little <laughs> ending here. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, $1 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Get all the Brits articles, Eno's articles, all the playoff baseball coverage, everything we've got going on the site right now, which is overwhelming in the best possible way. As always, you can reach us via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. If you'd like to email us on Twitter, she's at Britt underscore Giroli. He's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening.